Hello, hello, and welcome to the Temple of the Falls pod, where our decks aren't optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. Uh, I'm Andy. I'm Bruce. And today we're just gonna sit back. We're gonna talk. Uh, we've we've got Commander Legends just recently released. We're gonna talk about our favorite. Uh, our legendary moments. Yeah, our legendary moments. The legends that make our Commander games uh, so fun. Uh, Bruce, you've been playing Commander hell of a lot longer than I have been playing. Uh, tell me about a time that you've... About a game, about a moment uh, that stands out for you that, that exemplifies Commander as a format. As comical as this is, uh, one of the games that most uh, exemplifies Commander to me as the, the format is one of the first games I played, which uh, was in fact not a Commander game. So much of what I see with Commander is, or what I'm looking for in Commander games is what I'm looking for in virtually all multiplayer Magic games. So whether it's 60 card games with a group of four people all playing at once, um, whether it's, uh, you know, four or five player playing a plane chase game or uh, whatever other formats people are looking at. I'm really looking for a lot of the same thing. I want that, I want the interaction between the players uh, and I want the plays on the board to be spectacular as a way to feed that interaction. I don't think I've ever, I think my worst game of multiplayer, or that might be a stretch, most of my worst games of multiplayer have been better than my most average game of one-on-one. I think a lot of EDH players can very much grasp onto that idea that multiplayer outshines <laughs> um, just duel. But like, I mean, it's it's a obviously a preference, but... Um... Right. Well, that, yeah, and that's exactly it. Um so for me, one of the uh, one of the stories is basically uh, my my first actual game of Magic. A few months earlier, I had been asked to pick up a box of Ice Age for some friends <laughs> who were interested in this brand new game of Magic, and they wanted to get more cards, but there weren't any cards to be had in their area. So they asked me to go and buy a box. I was living in Wyoming at the time, and Ooh. so I went to the local game place and bought a box of Ice Age and brought it back home with me at Christmas, where I proceeded to hand it to them and not ever think about it again. So uh, (laughs) it wasn't until that summer when I got back and got into my first real game of Magic with these guys. Um, I had bought two packs, or sorry, two of the starter decks. They're what were then later termed tournament packs. Essentially, these are the equivalent of roughly three packs of Magic cards, plus a, a bunch of basic lands. And they came hmm. in a little cardboard box so that it was it looked like it was roughly the size of a or just slightly bigger than your than a deck of playing cards. Anyways, I got two of these because they, they came in a gift box, which had two of these tournament packs, and I then a gifts. little tiny uh, drawstring bag that had a bunch of beads in it that you could use as counters. Um, and it even said Magic the Gathering on the outside of the bag for, you know the first six months until it wore off. (laughs) Anyways, so we're playing this game, and there's five of us, I think, playing. And not surprisingly, they're not attacking me. And I'm not really doing much of anything because I don't really know how this game works. And I've built a deck with the 150 cards I currently own. Um, (laughs) Now, 
if I remember right, I did manage to get it down to just three colors, but uh, I was playing every single card of those three colors I had, and I'm pretty sure I had a few lands that tapped for mana that wasn't in my deck <laughs> because I needed the land. I just needed that much more, that much land. So um, basic lands were a scarcity at the time. Oh, very much so, especially <laughs> with that. Um, and that was also back in the day when it was 33% land, 33% creatures, and 33% everything else. That's how you build ah. a deck. In any event, we're well into the game. And at this point, I finally get a chance to play out one of my creatures. Not surprisingly, in early Magic, the creatures were not generally very good. And this creature would could only be considered... Eh, not even as good as even those creatures. Uh, I played Rabid Wombat. Now, for those of you listening at home, uh, Rabid Wombat is a four mana creature. It's two and two green. It is a <laughs> zero one, a zero one with vigilance. Oh, for four. Now it didn't say vigilance. It just says it doesn't tap when it attacks. Because this is old school magic. We're talking fourth edition. Um, however, the ability on the card is Rabbit Wombat gets plus two, plus two for each aura attached to it. And even then, it really wasn't aura so much as it was, it was each creature enchantment on it <laughs> because auras as a term did not exist. So anyways, Rabbit Wombat, and I'm looking and I must have, my deck must have been better than I thought because Rabid Wombat is from Chronicles. That's where I would have got it. So I must have bought some packs of Chronicles at the, by this point as well. In any event, I played a 0-1 for 4 mana because I had to have some creature out there. So one of my friends took pity on me and said, if I put an aura on your creature, will you promise not to attack me? And <laughs> I thought to myself, well, if he puts an aura on it, my creature will then become a 2-3 with an aura. So yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so I think, if I remember correctly, he played Unholy Strength on my Ooh. on my creature, which turned the 2-3 into a 4-4, four, four, if I remember right. Okay, so now I've got a 4-4 four, four with Vigilance. This is something worth talking about, sort of, but it was there. So <laughs> as my turn was going around, somebody else thought, you know, why not? It's like, Bruce? Will you not attack me if I put an enchantment on your creature? Well, why not? I've got four opponents. I'm probably not actually going to attack anyone anyway, because it's my only creature. Sure, let's do that. So he puts a holy strength on my creature. So now I'm getting plus four, plus four from the creature, and another plus three, plus three from, you know, uh, from the auras. The actual size of the wombat really doesn't matter. On my turn... I looked at the board and thought, okay, so I can attack and completely forgot that it has vigilance and chose not to attack anyone because I decided I wanted to have my creature available to block. So after my turn, it was explained to me that, you know, you don't even have to tap him to attack, Bruce. You can just swing. All right. <laughs> so one good thing it does. Right. So, hey, learning experience. I now know this. So it goes around the board and one other person puts another aura on my creature. So this thing is getting stupid now. However, there's one player left who hasn't put an aura on it. So on my next turn, I attack that player. 
Uh, I believe they chump blocked with a 1-1 because, well, I didn't have trample. No trample. <laughs> um, however, that quickly stopped becoming a problem, stopped being an issue. Things started to really get out of hand at this point. Um, the player who hadn't put an aura on it finally did, and then it just kept going. And it got to the point where we start, where I was announcing that I would just attack whoever had the least number of auras put on my creature. Because I think at that point I had seven or eight auras on this guy. So he was going to swing in for a lot. I believe he also had flying. So a flying wombat that was going to do probably over 20 points of damage if it hit. So Nice. Yeah. So that, that should be... Uh, that was going to be pretty handy. Now, I don't remember if I ever actually hit anyone for 20 points of damage. I don't remember who won the game. <laughs> All I remember was this game is awesome. And I can't believe my Wombat got that big. It set up expectations for the next game, which would not be met. But (laughs) at this point, I was hooked. I found out that you could do all kinds of crazy wild interactions. And uh, it wasn't until months later that I discovered you can actually play magic with just two people. (laughs) I, I swear, I must be one of the only people who was ever introduced to magic and had no idea that originally it was supposed to be a one-on-one game. Who knew? So that's sort of my my initial story, the the story that kind of sticks out for me as far as what I really like to see from these games. The that uh that interaction with friends and the wild and crazy moment in the game. Uh I love that and like I said that that's what really stuck out for me. So Andy, what about you? Um as you know, my birth into magic, my the beginning of my magic, it always feels weird to say, but career, I mean, it's when I started playing, um, was through you. Um, I had played previously back in like middle school during like, like summer camp, day camp. They, there was this kid who would always bring like a couple decks and be like, oh, does anybody want to play? And I'm like, I don't know how. He was like, all right, I'll, I'll just teach you. Uh, so I probably had played twice uh, before meeting you. And you got me started off with some of the, the starter decks uh, free from your LGS. A couple weeks later, brought in some of your 60-card decks. Uh, yep. Played that during lunch. And then probably a week after that, uh, you brought in some commander decks. And I, I didn't know what to expect. And the deck that you had brought in, the very first deck that you had brought in, was your Nissa Vastwood Seer deck, which is the, the flip Nissa. She, she starts out as a creature, and she enters a battlefield. You search for a basic forest, reveal it, put it in her hand, shovel your library. Right. Then she has a landfall trigger uh, that if you have seven or more, she flips um, into a planeswalker. It's... It's like a it's a decent planeswalker by today's standards, but I can see how at the time it was probably huge. Um, Honestly, the planeswalker in that deck is there to make is there as part of the ramp package. You're you're yeah. just adding lands, and honestly, when you flip her, um, you're looking to add lands, and it and it's a card draw. So uh, oh, yeah. I never worry about putting out. Ashaya, the world, uh, the Awoken world. <laughs> I certainly don't ever look to untap six target lands and have them become six six elemental creatures. Uh, oh yeah, that's just a great way to see your land get destroyed by a, an errant wrath. 
<laughs> no, the card the card is solely there to draw cards yeah. and put put forests into play. And that's uh, that's kind of the thing too. So after after we played that game, a couple weeks later, you were like, "Hey, uh, every Thursday, I have friends come over. We have pizza, play Commander. You should join us." So the very first multiplayer EDH game I had ever played, I wanted to play this deck again, and it was probably turn five or six. I don't remember what card exactly it was probably avenger of sendikar or something it made like a buttload of tokens i had so many lands out at the point in the game i probably had 20 to 30 lands out right. just because uh it was that far into the game i was really like kind of rolling with the ramp uh every turn getting out more and more played avenger of sendikar got out so many plants by the next turn i almost definitely didn't have any of those plants anymore but just that feeling of getting all of that that huge play that just kind of happened it was it was an amazing addictive feeling where i was just like oh my god this is what the game is um and i could not tell you if i could do anything with those plants i couldn't tell you uh who won that game but the sheer power of just just seeing this unfold of how like finally understanding uh that uh, play sequencing matters. Uh, certain enchantments, uh, like there was, pro- I probably had a doubling season out when that happened. Um, all of these things like fit tightly into this. St- I mean, honestly, it's one of your more focused decks. It was, it was great. Uh, it, it had kind, it kind of ended up forming what I love about the game. Tokens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> honestly like i if if i ever had to play a specific type of deck for the rest of time it would probably be token it's it's inspired me to want to make more and more token decks i think i've got a uh an amara from the the new amara um where she taps and she makes tokens i i want to make a slime foot deck that's not like just busted i ju- i just want to make sapperlings um Andy, I, I I think you might have a problem. Yeah, but like <laughs> just making that many creatures, um, it's a lot of fun. Even though they're they're tiny, um, with the new set, Tana got a reprint. Um, so I'm hoping that like she's she's green red makes sapperlings. I want to add in some black so I can get that slime foot in there. Some sort of black, green, red, or whatever. I just that that nissa deck it prepared me for what i was in for (laughs) Um, (laughs) oh you mean you mean a deck that ramps like crazy and then doesn't really finish yeah (laughs) have you seen have you seen my decks (laughs) (laughs) my uh my moldrotha deck honestly i was like i don't want to put or i when i first built that deck i didn't want to put like a i didn't want to put a, a win condition in there uh I just wanted to see the value and have the value. And then if somebody kills me, at least I got value. Um, <laughs> but as, as we all know, Muldroth is a bit, uh, a bit busto. I, I, I play, I play commander to have those big plays as I'm sure you do. I mean, we've talked about it for literally days on it. Yes. Um, and you, you've, you've taught me. Oh, oh, wise sage. You've instilled in me that it's about that. You've instilled in me that it's about 
everybody. It's not just about me as a player. It's about the table having a good time. Um, so all of my decks first draft start off with what is it I want to do? How do I want to go about it? Um, and sometimes it never gets past that first draft because I don't know how to like hone it in and try to put a win con in there. Right. What's a what's a what's a deck that you've started and either never been able to finish uh, or have gotten it to the table and been like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Um, like, what's a what's a deck that you've never been able to pull off? So you're asking for my white whale, and you're asking yeah. for the moment that that you know it just doesn't seem to come together and my answer is a little bit it's a little different because it's not the deck that you draft up or a deck you go through and build online and look at it and tinker with it and mess around and then just it just never seems to get to where you want it to be um for me my white whale is crond crond the dawn clad the reason that's it's so different is that i built the deck I didn't just even just build the deck. I built the deck and I played it and I played it and I played it and I wrote about it. Uh, this was <laughs> this was during my you know it was right in the middle of all of of all my article series. I wrote about Crond at least five times, and in all of those times, the deck changed again and again because I kept trying to make it work, and it just wouldn't work. For those of you who are wondering, uh, where is it here? Cron the Dawnclad. Yes. For white, 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 green, green, green. Thank you. That's. I think you're hearing the problem already. <laughs> six mana for a six six. Uh, legendary creature Archon, flying vigilance. Whenever Cron the Dawnclad attacks, if it is enchanted, exile target permanent. To me, one. If I'm going to put play commander, I'm going to build my deck around the commander. So I'm going to try and build my deck around a 6-6 Flying Vigilance creature that costs 6 colored mana. Right off the bat, I built the deck, um, understood that it was going to be tough getting all the colors, so I packed the deck with a lot of lands, with a lot of ways to get that colored mana. Mm -hmm. um, the early builds had no problem getting Krond into play. I could do that again and again. Um, what they didn't have was I didn't have enough auras in the deck mm. because without the aura, Kron is just a six-six flying vig creature, <laughs> and it's just not that exciting. And if somebody kills him once, then he's a six-six flying vigilance creature that costs eight. Yeah, and then we start getting into the world where that it's just not worth it to cast him anymore. So I I altered the deck. I added more more enchantments. And, you know, it's Commander, so I picked big, splashy enchantments. And there again, a couple of games with that, it's like, look, doesn't work. Because you put him out there, and as soon as you try and enchant him, somebody destroys your creature. You lose your enchantment, you lose the Commander, so now the Commander comes back out, he costs 8. But you now need to find another aura to target him with. And then you find it and go to, go to do it, and somebody kills the creature again. The this is stupid. So then I said, okay, well, fine. The best way around this is to just play them both in the same turn. <laughs> well, okay, now I'm not playing my commander until like turn 10. Well, okay, this is... Now it's really pointless because you're only ever going to get to attack once. So I'm not playing yeah. until turn 10. And if I don't give him haste, he's not attacking until turn 11. He has vidge, not haste. So it just... 
it wasn't working. And by this point, game's winding down. Luckily, most of the time, probably, nobody's been attacking you because you're hardly a threat. I, I am no threat uh, at all because the rest of the <laughs> deck essentially is a bunch of cards that get you to Krond. So I'm at Krond, but he doesn't do anything. Like, okay, fine. So then I went back through and searched for enchantments or searched for auras that cost either one mana or two mana and then somehow protected Krond. Whether he became indestructible, whether he was hexproof, whether he was had shroud, whether he... Whatever it did, it had to protect him in some way, even if it's just protection from a color, from colors, whether it was an armadillo cloak or, or something. It had to have mm-hmm. something to protect him. Well, then we finally started getting somewhere. I finally managed to get to the point where, okay, it's I now have seven mana on the board, six mana on the board. Don't play Grand. Don't do it. You will regret <laughs> it. Don't play Grand. So the next turn, you'll get your seventh mana available. Now you play Krond, and then you wait a second. Nobody's countering. All right, then you tap that last mana and put something on Kron that makes him indestructible, makes it does whatever. I yeah. mean, I'm not going to go into the particulars. You all can look it up. The reason is not really that relevant. Yeah, I mean, I've played this deck. Um, you know what I'm talking granted, about. Yeah, I, I've, I've played this deck a handful of times, yeah. probably like two or three times. First time I played it, I don't think I understood what I was doing. I don't I don't right. think I understood what the deck was trying to do um, because I think I just like picked it up and I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I remember the second time I had gotten Celestial Mantle yeah. on Krond. And just, yeah, like you said, immediately he becomes a target. He's At that point, once you get Celestial Mantle on, it gives him plus three, plus three. So he's a nine, nine. And when he attacks uh, or when he deals combat damage. No, nope, when he whenever, attacks. Uh, when he attacks, he de- destroys? Yes. Ex- exile Exiles. target permanent. So you don't have to exile the permanent from the person you're attacking. You can swing yep. at somebody who has no defenses and then yank the best card out of somebody else's, off of somebody else's battlefield. So then he's a 9-9 with Celestial Mantle. And then whenever Enchanted Creature deals combat damage to a player, double its controller's life total. So, like, you put it on Kron, he's a 9-9. You double your life total. So nobody's going to let you hit anyone with him it's it's this it's this double-edged sword of it's too much value in a card but it's too expensive to even try well and this was and this was part of the problem i finally found the solution mm-hmm. to make it so that i could use cron to create those moments that you remember so then i would the first game where i actually managed to get there i won the game because <laughs> nobody realized what exactly was happening <laughs> but then in the next game suddenly everybody's like okay Krond is useless until it has a, an enchantment on it but once it has the enchantment on it Bruce has got to die well the deck is not good enough to protect me from that sort of thing <laughs> it's not even close if you're gonna if you're gonna put a rating scale on it then three maybe a four but the problem is, yeah. is that the deck is puny and weak until it's not Right. So it goes from a nothing deck that does nothing to this monstrosity that you just can't let go. I mean, essentially, you've got nothing, and then suddenly you have an Eldrazi out. There's yeah. no middle ground for this deck. There's no middle place where somebody can say, oh, Bruce is having a good game. It's not crazy yet. We're okay. We don't need to swing at him right away. 
<laughs> so it's either nothing, nothing, nothing. In other words, Bruce has nothing. To nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh my God, he's got to die now. And then I just die. <laughs> That's how this particular creature goes. So when you're talking about that white whale, that, that deck that just doesn't quite work, it's Kron. It is yeah. definitely Kron for me. And it's comical because I've got a lot of friends who associate me with Kron because I've written so much about him. I mean, I keep calling him the flying lion. <laughs> I want this deck to work so bad. I just do. I love the card. I love the art. I like what it does. I, I, I just, the whole thing. And I just can't figure out how to quite make it work. And of course, I still have the deck. It, I haven't taken it apart. I'm still going to fiddle around with it and maybe try and figure out a way to build some defenses before Kron hits. And then when he comes out, I'm not just a complete lame duck. I can actually continue to do Kron things and do all kinds of craziness. Yeah. I, uh, for, um, my, my white whale is, is Traxus, Scourge of Krug, <laughs> um, which it's, it's so hard, um, because he's colorless. So it's like, I, I could make him the commander in which, sure, but the, so for those who don't know, Traxus, Scourge of Krug is a four generic mana, seven, seven with trample. It says, uh, do you have it up? Yeah. So uh, Traxos Scourge of Krug enters the battlefield tapped and doesn't untap during your untap step. Whenever you cast a historic spell, untap Traxos. So the very first time I played this card was the Dominaria pre-release when historic spells were, you know, this new idea, this new classification, I guess, in magic. Uh, historic spells, for those who uh, don't know or don't remember artifacts legendaries sagas uh which is you know 70 to 80 percent of your non-land cards are like going to generally fit in that pool um, right so uh traxus in my pre-release i had him and i had on sarah's wings which is uh four mana enchantment three and a white um legendary enchantment Enchant creature. Enchanted creature is legendary. Gets plus one, plus one. And has flying vigilance and lifelink. Vigilance. So, yeah. That was the big thing. Vigilance. Um, and the fact that it was legendary. So, you play Traxos. He's tapped. Uh, he's kind of lame. You play him on turn four. The next turn, you come around. You play On Sarah's Wings onto him. Which procs his, his ability. And he untaps. And then never and taps again. And now he's, yeah, and now he has Vigilance, yeah. so he never taps again. But also he's got plus one, plus one, flying, lifelink. So he's a flying 8-8 eight, eight with lifelink that never taps. Yeah. I, I had that happen. <laughs> I had that, that magical Christmas land happen in my first pre-release. And I was like, I need more of this. And so I've tried to put that in so many <laughs> decks. So you've um, tried to run it in decks where... Let's just say, instead of 40-card decks, we're 100-card decks. So you're trying to run a, a, a combination that only really works well when you have both of these cards. Yeah. In a 100-card um, deck as opposed to the 40. Yeah. yeah. And my, my most recent uh -huh. my most recent excursion into that has been... I And I think this is where it's 
permanent home, its resting place is going to be, is Raf Capuchin, which uh, he's a flyer, he, he has flash, uh, he's blue and white, and you can play historic spells as though they had flash. It's great for keeping up counters, uh, it's great for all of the equipment, it's great uh, to play artifacts, equipment, Traxos, and then legendary enchantments, and all these great things that make up the white sphere of magic. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I have yet to have it go off, but uh, that, that deck's fun. Um, it's, it's essentially just historic flash, and it's pretty unassuming for really what it could be. But uh, that, that would have to be my white whale is Traxos, Scourge of Krug. So what I think what we're saying here is that these decks that haunt us are decks that, you know, we get to work once early <laughs> by sheer fluke. And we're both enamored to the point where I will never let this go. I will never oh, let yeah. this go. I must, must recreate this moment again and again. So It's that... It's that uh, that first crush moment of just like, like, ooh, who's that pretty card combination? <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, with that, we're going to jump over to our uh, advertising break. Um, so we'll we'll be right back. This episode of Temple of the False Pod is brought to you by. <laughs> Drow News Pet <coughs> Store. Come here for any pet supplies you need, even for your rabid wombat. Drow News Pet Store. What a weird bird. Now back to you. All right. Welcome back. Thank you so much, advertisers. So, really appreciate <clears throat> you supporting our sponsors. <laughs> With Commander Legends, there's this big emphasis on drafting. Uh, as somebody who's drafted probably less than 20 times total, uh, most of which being on Arena, which is, needless to say, not a true draft experience. Uh, tell me. I know you love conspiracy sets, the unsets, oh, yeah. battle mm-hmm. bond. <clears throat> um, what are what are you looking forward to with Commander Legends as a draft set, or like what what do you what do you look forward to just in general with draft matters sets? First off, you've mentioned virtually all of the sets where you are drafting with the goal being a multiplayer game. And that Uh, is definitely my wheelhouse. Uh, If you're looking for information (laughs) about regular drafting, you have come to the wrong place. So wrong. (laughs) So, so wrong. Uh, I draft almost not at all with the regular sets. Any drafting I do that's one-on-one is generally a cube from one of my friend's cubes. You know, the closest I come to a regular draft is a chaos draft. 18 or 24 random packs and away you go. Uh, And again, that's not your typical draft experience. But for me, the original conspiracy opened my eyes to the idea of a multiplayer draft format. And it was everything that I was looking for. My group at the time was very much 
uh, oriented towards multiplayer games, and we all enjoyed a little bit of draft. So we would play a lot of chaos drafts uh, and do a little bit of cube, but it was never quite, you just didn't get that mix because when you were doing it, you were playing one-on-one and that was fine every once in a while, but it always felt like you were losing out on the opportunity to have a multiplayer game. So Conspiracy comes along and says, okay, we're doing both. The format was amazing. I loved it. I would say that that was, it was the first set of magic cards where I bought boxes of it (laughs) Uh, i bought more than a case two of the other guys in our play group also bought cases uh we had conspiracy was was something that we were drafting uh every two weeks it seemed like we guaranteed that we were drafting it at least once a month and we preferred to draft it every two weeks we loved the format you know we worked out most of the decks that were available in the format Uh, we enjoyed it so much that uh, I know of many other groups where they would conspiracy draft and then use those decks throughout the course of the night. We would conspiracy draft, play one game, get one result, and be like, <laughs> okay, are we going to play Commander or are we just going to draft again? Because we're not going to run the same decks again. We're just going <laughs> to do another draft. And uh, the format was amazing. We loved it. It just sort of got me hooked from there. So that when the second conspiracy set was was supposed to be coming out, I was ramped through the roof about it. My Twitter feed was full. I had a, I, I created a uh, a fake newspaper from Pagliano, which was the home, which is the <laughs> the, the main city on the home plane. Uh, I, I wrote you know spoof articles about the cards from conspiracy and predicted cards from conspiracy too. And, and it was, uh, just everything and anything. And, uh, oh my God, I loved this set even down to actually liking the storyline. I liked the legendary creatures from the sets, but yeah, the draft format was unbelievable. And then conspiracy two came along and added in the Monarch and brought in a bunch oh. of other unique twists to the, to gameplay. Um, I didn't buy as much of it as I bought it it the first one, but only because I just didn't have access to as much or just (laughs) knew we weren't going to play it as often. Um, It's just, it was spectacular. Just really loved that set. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Conspiracy 2 ended up introducing one of the, I mean, one of my favorite mechanics introduced to a multiplayer format melee the monarch oh oh mark oh okay oh yes which i'm so glad really (laughs) (laughs) i'm so i'm so excited to see that monarch is coming back yes i guess at this point has come back with commander legends uh and not just on reprint cards they made new monarch cards and i'm just like ah but yeah i mean the few times that I've played Conspiracy Draft, I think it's just it's between the Conspiracy cards themselves or the Draft Matter cards themselves. It is such an experience to go through that. Um, conspiracy, A plus in my book, and I uh, have barely played. Um, between that and Battle Bond, which is it's it's kind of Conspiracy light. It's like two headed giant Conspiracy. Basically, yeah, and for those who haven't, Battle Bond is more, uh, it's an opportunity where you you and a partner are drafting against the other players on the board, uh, but you're creating two separate decks, 
but you're working together and you take a single turn. It's it is it is two headed giant. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. But more importantly, you draft two cards at a time, and you're drafting at the same time as your partner. Like you, the two of you together draft. What I really liked about Battlebond was less the multiplayer experience because they keep calling Battlebond a multiplayer, but it's two-headed giant versus two-headed giant. So you only really had one opponent. Right. I mean, you know, yes, you had two opponents, but you only had one place to send your attack. Um, so You don't have that political Yeah, you don't get the political. Injury, You're yeah. swinging one way. That's, that's how <laughs> it goes. However, um, what, like I said, what I really liked about Battlebond was the opportunity to pair with other players to see how they valued the cards. Mm. It was an opportunity for me to get a lot better at drafting. Um, when you start seeing how other players draft and recognize what they value and what you haven't been valuing. I was lucky enough at, uh, I brought a box of Battlebond with me to, to Gen Con one year. Uh, with the stated goal that uh, you know I wanted to try and get four people from Wizards of the Coast to play with you know me and three other friends uh, in the end we can only get three people from Wizards but uh, you know when you're running in a draft with um, Gavin Verhey, uh, Aaron Forsyth and uh, I think it was Mark Globus these were some seriously good players hey my my cards, I got to pick my partner. I picked Aaron Forsyth because <laughs> why wouldn't I pick a pro tour vet? Uh, just to see what he valued as far as what would go in our decks. It was an eye opener for me. And it's not, you know, it's not as though I don't understand mana curve and all and, and this sort of thing. It just, he brought that to another level and was sort of like, this will work really well with this card in a way that I just wouldn't wouldn't see. Um, were there any picks that you were like, let's go with this? And he was like, uh, <laughs> no. Like, did, was there any point where you were like, is he laughing at me? Um, <laughs> no, he was always very good about not laughing at me. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I made a couple, there was, there were a couple of late picks in one of the round where he literally looked at me and said, I don't draft this enough. Is there a difference between these two cards? And I was like, yes, this is definitely the one we want to take because it was one of the partner ones and I knew that we would get mm-hmm. the other partner when it's somewhere along the line. So that was fine. But for the most part, it was a lot of the early stuff where my attitude was, well, do should we continue to try and stay open here or should we narrow it down? And his thought process had moved long past that and he was already thinking about something else. So that was really interesting for me. Um, and that's not to say that Everybody else that I've played Battlebond with haven't provided me with the same thing. In our playgroup, I've been partnered with people who who just don't draft at all, who are very, yeah. ra- I mean, very I think, rarely draft. I think you and I have been partnered up. I think so. Uh, but it's interesting to see how everybody else values cards. You know, yeah. you get a chance to sort of stop and say, you know, maybe we should think about this because it will allow us to ramp into this. Or maybe we should think about this because we we you know we're heading in this way with the decks, um, and that's you know that's sort of an option. It gives you a chance to learn and a chance to teach when you're playing in a regular yeah. play group. It gives you insight into how they think about the draft, which is nice to have for the next time you draft against them. So yeah, with with that kind of in mind, is there like. Anything you've seen throughout the preview season? What what uh, is there anything specific that you're looking forward to? 
I'm looking forward to actually playing it. I'm looking forward to actually drafting it. Um, Mm -hmm. Right now, for those of you listening at home, we're still in the stage where we're getting previews. So we don't know all the cards in the set. um, And I haven't even started to consider how this works as a draft format. How do you build a commander deck from this and then play it? When you realize that these single color commander partners means that you're less worried about actually using the commander and more just, okay, now I have access to all the black cards as well. Yeah, I really like this so, idea that like you uh, are using the color identity as a way to open up rather, oh, excuse me, rather than restrict your deck. I'm excited with this new set. They're 20 card packs instead of 15 card packs. So the way they're kind of speeding up the process is that you do two picks before you pass. I like one of the biggest things I always have issues with when drafting is you know I, I you watch people on twitch you watch people on youtube draft and they're like oh yeah this is gonna wheel or this is probably gonna wheel and i'm like i'm so inexperienced i'm like i don't I don't know and then i just get anxious and i like have decision paralysis and i'm like ah but picking two will help ease that i guess um that's what i'm excited about right. <laughs> uh, yeah so i i want to see how it plays as an actual format, uh, I think there's, yeah. there are a lot of people right now who are looking at this going, okay, I'm going to buy a box and then I'm going to crack it all and see what I get. And hey, you know, more power to you. But And I appreciate that, you know, we are in the midst of, of a pandemic, but I'm going to be buying boxes in the hope <laughs> in the hope that I can eventually play in person with other people. So I'm going to be buying a lot of boxes that are going to be sitting in a shelf. Uh, and they're going to sit there until I get a chance to round up enough people to play. So, you know, how long will that take? Well, it'll take as long as it does. But this is something that I'm looking forward to with with the deck. I mean, I've just I I really enjoy the <laughs> idea of drafting a multiplayer deck, and the idea oh, yeah, of drafting definitely. a whole commander deck is very interesting. Now, if I remember correctly, this is a they're supposed to be sixty card commander decks. Yeah, there's supposed to be 60. Yeah, um, so this is going to be a lot more like Brawl decks than yeah. I'm looking forward to it. This is really a, a, a format that I love to play. Um, and it's a great way to create uh, some fun edge to when you go out to groups. Uh, I've yet to go to a Gen Con where I didn't do a Conspiracy <laughs> or Battle Bond. You know, when we were going to Grand Prix, I would regularly bring a box to try and make sure we get a game in. When you're offering up a box and saying, hey, you want to come draft? You don't have to keep any of the chaff. And in fact, I'm going to ask that you give me all the cards at the end. So just build the best deck oh, you yeah. can. People line up for that kind of thing. And in the end, you get all the cards. So that's a, that's a win-win for me. And most other people are you generally pretty happy about that, too. So of the bunch, I would definitely most like to see another conspiracy set come out. I like that world. Uh, I liked the, that, the format. Battle Bond was great as a multiplayer set. But you're either drafting it with four players or eight players. You can't do otherwise. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas conspiracy, you can have four, five, six, seven, eight players. It works under all of those situations. So I, I like the fle- I like that kind of flexibility. So that you know, on the course of any night, you can just simply start drafting it. Uh, you don't need yeah. to have exactly four or eight. And if you have exactly four or eight, 
man, you really want to play Commander. Because <laughs> then you've right. got exactly the right number of people. So, however, uh, I will say that I do hope that if, they've got, if they were planning a conspiracy set or another battle bond or one of these multiplayer group drafts for this coming summer, mm-hmm. I hope they don't. <laughs> I, 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 as somebody who loves it, I really don't want them to do it next year. Big parts of the world are still going to be uh, struggling with COVID. Our, the the yeah. group, group play is still going to be a difficult situation come this summer. Those sets are only going to sell well if you also have that as an option. I mean, yes, there are plenty of players who will buy the next conspiracy set just to crack the packs to get at the new legends. But the real joy for those sets is getting to sit down with your friends and play them. And, um, you know, I don't even want to try and do that using Zoom or playing it online. Mm -hmm. Um, I want, you know, I want that to be an in-person experience that I can have. And if it means, you know, why don't you just put that on the shelf, push it back a year, swap a couple things around, make it happen in a time when you can maximize your sales on it. Because the last thing I want them to do is produce a conspiracy set that flops because nobody's playing face-to-face. Because it'll just discourage them from ever doing it again, and I do not want that to happen. So. Yeah. All right. And oh, look look here. I'm getting a note from Queen Marchesa herself. She's saying, uh, hurry up. Well, I guess, uh, I guess this is it. So... Uh, <laughs> I've I've been Andy. You can find me on Twitter, at Twitch, wherever on the internet at Andy Weekend. And I'm Bruce. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I am at Mana Burned on Twitter, um, and uh, I'm will be looking to play some Yorick here in the near future to uh, enjoy the <laughs> return of Mana Burn. Yes, live the yes, brand. Live the brand. All right. We've been Temple of the False Pod, where the decks aren't optimized, but the plays sure as heck are fun. Have a great night. We'll see you next time. Bye! Doo-doo-doo!